Welcome to another episode of Listen Loudly. My name is Jocelyn Thompson Rule, and today I am interviewing process and development coach Justin Sewer. Justin is the only guest I've had in this series who I haven't worked with in some capacity. However, he has influenced my work greatly with his words, with his teachings. So I really think you're going to enjoy this episode. Justin Sewer, welcome to Listen Loudly. What an absolute honor it is to have you here. You are the first of my guests who I haven't worked with in some capacity. I just love your work and you have impacted my work so much with your words and with your influence. So thank you very, very much for coming onto the podcast. I am so grateful that we have this opportunity to chat and uh, the feelings are mutual. I, I'm, I'm grateful for our uh, social media friendship. Okay. So Justin, you are a mental performance coach. Yeah, you can say that. Uh, uh, some know me as a process and development coach. Yeah. Ooh, yes, that's much better. Process and development. Okay. I'm obsessed with both of those two things. I think that they are invaluable skills to have for yourself. And in movement, in what I do, I try to teach people as much as possible the tools or the how to be able to get themselves from where they are to where they're at. Can you just give us a little bit of a background of how you got into the work that you do now? A little bit about who you've worked with, because that's a vibe too. Absolutely. Uh, it, what's so interesting is had you told me I was going to be doing this 15 years ago, I would have thought there's no way because that doesn't exist. Originally, I wanted to be a professional baseball player. My father played for the Los Angeles Dodgers and the Milwaukee Brewers, Major League Baseball here in the United States in the minor leagues. And I always wanted to follow his footsteps. And so I went to college, played baseball, and I got my degree in broadcasting. Then I wanted to be a sports broadcaster once the baseball the track wasn't working out. And then uh, as I did my internship in sports broadcasting, I realized that I don't want to do that. And so I went into teaching and it was amazing. I had these wonderful high schoolers who are going through their changes in life. And then I got a master's degree while I was teaching in, in an industry called sport and performance psychology, which is essentially the, the science of optimizing human performance. And then from there, I found a new track. I took my teaching skills that I learned and I had a new set of students. And these students came in the form of military soldiers, professional athletes, coaches, executives. And so for the past 15 years post-teaching, I've been working with athletes and coaches and on teams like the Boston Red Sox and the Cleveland Browns and the NFL, WWE wrestlers the Tampa Bay Rays in baseball and um, Google executives. And so it's been a blast and uh, I've enjoyed the journey along the way. Wow. Incredible. So teams, individuals, everyone, basically you've worked with. I don't know about everyone, but uh, I've definitely <laughs> had an opportunity to work with some very interesting industries, even even industries yeah. that I never thought imagined from insurance brokers to uh, to hairstylists even. That was an interesting group. So let's backtrack with the hairstylist. Is this about how they communicate with their clients? Is it? 
Great question. Uh, I was brought in to work with a, a group of uh, elite hairstylists who work on the hair of superstars, A-list celebrities, and it's a very pressure-packed uh, situation. And there are a group of them, and like you just said, communication, psychological safety. So teaching them some strategies on how to focus on what they can control, how to manage their energy, how to quiet their mind and manage their their time management. And so, uh, so I had the chance to go, pop in and, and to work with that group, which was fun. Wow, gosh, who knew? And of course, if you think about that, that has got to be a high pressure situation. Because if you have whoever in front of you, and they're like, Babes, I don't like my hairstyle. Like, where do you go right. from there? Like, what do you even do? Beyonce doesn't and like you- my hair. <laughs> okay, incredible. But I think what we can pull from that is that mental performance side of things just feeds into absolutely everything. I know that when I was competing many years ago, I was very much in my head about what other people thought of my training and how I was doing. And I knew that that was just directing my energy completely in the wrong place and space. I actually hired a mental performance coach and she was just wonderful and taught me how to, to review a session or a workout each day, which I still do to this day of, you know, what went well, what would I do differently? What am I going to do? Like the super simple What was great about that was taking even the most negative of sessions and still finding something positive within that. I talk about that all the time. I talk about it when when I'm teaching. I talk about it when I'm coaching. But I think that the big connect from me to you was a quote of yours that I still use to this day. And I think before we started recording, you you were saying people were messaging you saying, this Peloton instructor is, is telling us about your quote which is stop listening to yourself and start talking to yourself. My mind was blown. I was like, yes, I'm constantly telling people or talking to people about the voice in their head and that you can completely switch that round and get back into the driving seat, as it were, with that. But you mentioned to me that that's a very old quote now, or just an oldie, but a goodie, maybe. Well, yes, I think I think you have some axioms and some principles, such as the one you just mentioned, that are tried and true and are simple, practical heuristics or things that are important to remember that will nudge us towards the best version of ourselves. And and to your point, it actually reminds me of of of, of a very common parable. I don't know if this is true, but it's a parable of the Cherokee grandfather and his grandson where one day uh, a, a grandfather was telling his grandson that every single day there's a battle between, between two wolves in your mind. And one wolf is good wolf. It's positive. It's productive. It's inspiring. And the other wolf is the bad wolf. It's negative. It complains. It makes excuses. It doubts yourself. The grandson says, grandfather, which wolf wins? And the grandfather says, the one that you feed. And it goes along, coincides with that quote, stop listening to yourself and start talking to yourself because when we allow our thoughts, the default is tends to be negative because of the negativity bias we have. It tends to to wonder if we can do it, to doubt our abilities and to not be as hopeful. And so, which is why it's important to generate the thoughts that we want to have, the principles, the quotes, and so forth. And uh, yeah, there's a whole process that comes along with that. But it's one of my favorites as well. And like yourself, I talk about it all the time. (laughs) Very cool. So obviously, you've worked with 
elite athletes. I think one of the things that I feel in my years of coaching is that there tend to be more common threads amongst us all in just process and progress. But a newer athlete or someone who's just starting out will often compare themselves to elites, number one, but will never realize that some of those mental processes that they're going through and that make them feel like they're a failure or not good enough will at some point have been the same for that elite athlete. Like I feel there's more commonality between us all than we realize. And I think so much of what I try to do in my coaching is again, going back to that teaching the how, teaching those tools. So you have a bit of a step-by-step, okay, I'm going to get, get from here to that next small step. And then just repeating those steps until you gain that competence and leading to confidence and all of that. So in your experience, like I say, haven't you worked with a ton of elite athletes? Is that the case? Do you think there's a common thread or do you think, because obviously they come with their natural talents and, and, and the environments in which have nurtured them to become who they are. What's your thought on that? I love that you said that. One of the things I always tell people is I wish, this will never happen, but one thing I wish is to have a room full of all of the greatest athletes in the world, that the top performers who you would never imagine, never imagine have feelings of insecurities, and they do, who would never imagine that they doubt themselves, and they do. For them to share, look to the left and look to the right and and raise their hand and say, I too struggle with lack of focus. I too struggle with believing in myself. I too doubt myself. I too feel nerves and pressure and I struggle and I wonder if if I'm going to be found out. And that's when I realized that the best in the world at what they do don't have the corner markets on optimizing performance. It's fathers, it's mothers, it's parents, it's insurance agents, it's hairdressers, all of us, all of us in this game of life, as some like to call it, we're all trying to be the best versions of ourselves in whatever we do. And what I love about working with the best in the world is once you get to the the tip the top of the spear, it comes down to the attention, the detail of the little things, those tiny little things, how you talk to yourself, how you manage your time, how you manage your energy, where you put your attention. Are you aware of your distractors? Are you aware of what builds your confidence? Are you aware of what destroys your confidence? All of those different things. Are you aware of the different energy of the people you allow in your circle? All of these tiny little things that add up and compound that will go and either help or hurt your performance. And so you are absolutely right. And what I love what you said is there are no silver bullets necessarily. There are no cookie cutter strategies. However, every single person is different. And what works for you might not work for someone else listening. What works for this person here might not work for that person there. And also, what used to work for you five years ago might not work for you now. And so my job as a process and development coach is to sit down and really understand what is your current process? How do you measure success What is your relationship like with failure? What are those reoccurring negative thoughts or unproductive thoughts? And what's your environment like? What's your sleeping pattern? All of these different things that matter. And also, what do you want and where are you going? And are you willing to pay the price to get there? 
So these are all of the different questions that we explore, and then we bake systems in their lives to help them get a little bit closer to what they want. Wow. And so everything that you just said, there's so much that goes into all of that. And one of the things that I always want for people is to, first of all, learn that, yeah, there are loads of parts of that process that are gnarly and you don't like them and it's a pain to do. But it is this wonderful, wonderful, lifelong process. And that you said, what worked for you five years ago isn't necessarily what's going to work for you now. So it's this continued getting to know yourself for where you're at right now, at this moment, and leaning into that and continuously being open to learning and not starting again necessarily, but as you say, not holding on to, right, well, I did this five years ago. So I should be able, no, everything's different now. And it's not to say that you can't do whatever from five years ago, but just taking into the account the variables that have changed within your life and how are you going to reconfigure what that looks like. So you've, you've said there are so many moving parts within that. If you had somebody who was interested in, or somebody who just decided, you know what, I'm interested in going on this fitness journey, on this movement journey. And not that they don't know where to start in terms of what to do or where to train or anything like that. Mentally, what would be some foundational principles of getting them started and keeping them going? Because I feel like people have day one, day two, day three, and then they're, they're stuck listening to themselves Mm -hmm. and in a flurry. And what would you advise them to do? That's awesome. That's, that's a really great question. And the, the accurate answer is it depends. However, we have a lot of people listening. And so let's, uh, let's give them a framework that they can go through. Not to say this is the one size fits all framework, but this might be something that could nudge somebody towards the right direction. The model that I'm going to present right now is called the GWAP model. G-W-O-P. And so first, let's start off with the goal. The G stands for the goal. And myself, I love, what I love about the best in the world, about, about in any industry, is they swing for the fences. They take moonshots. And what's great about these moonshots, these people who achieved amazing things, is when you look at the probability of achieving these things, they're very small, to be quite honest. It's, it's, it, people underestimate how hard it's going to be and how long it's going to take. However, it's burning in your soul and you can't stop thinking about it, then that's a signal that you need to go for it, even if the odds are against you. We often hear the quote, what would you do if you knew you couldn't fail? What I like is to turn that question on its head. What would you do if failing was inevitable. If you knew you were going to fail, what would, still, what would still be worth your time doing because you love it so much? That is the goal you want to attack because you love it. The odds are against you, but you're like, I want to go anyway. I would grab a sheet of paper and just start to write down a number of different goals that you want pertaining to fitness. They could be process-oriented goals. They could be results-oriented goals. Don't have a filter. Just let your pen go. Just write them all down. 
And as you look at the sheet of paper, you're going to find one. I'm only going to let you pick one for this instant. One that you're like, ooh, I want this one. It's going to be scary. It's going to be difficult. But there's something about it. Just even pursuing this goal is going to change me as a person. Let's go for it. So that's the G. Give yourself a deadline. Give yourself measurables like a a stop line, a finish line. W is very powerful. A lot of people miss this step. It stands for the why. You have to then ask yourself, why do I want to do this? What is the purpose? Now, when you're pursuing your why, you need to understand that your why is yours. You don't have to worry about it being something that you're going to broadcast to the world. You don't have to worry about it being noble. You don't have to worry about it being something that other people might say, oh, that's a bad why. Also, your why needs to move you emotionally. Some people's whys I've seen, they tell me their why and it brings them to tears. I've seen some people, their why makes them so excited. I've even seen somebody, their why makes them angry. It's almost like I I am fed up with my situation so bad, I'm going to run through a wall to make this happen. I am tired of my current situation. I'm angry at what has happened to me or what I've done. Either I control or I can't. Does it drive you emotionally? That's when you know. So what is your why? And then constantly revisit it. Because when you know why you do what you do, you'll have more power to do it. The O stands for identify the obstacles. What are all of the obstacles that you are going to face externally and internally? It might be your lack of self-confidence. It might be that internal dialogue. It might be things that is invisible to everybody else, but you maybe it's your propensity to be lazy. Maybe you're a bad time management. You're, maybe you're poor at whatever it may be. Write down all of the obstacles that you're going to face and pretty much take this goal and ask yourself, what are all of the reasons why I might not achieve this? And when you do that, something very interesting happens. Your brain is now going to go and conjure up ideas of things that you either A, need to avoid or B, need to prepare for. There are going to be inevitable difficulties when you pursue your dreams The moment you decide to pursue the dreams is the moment you commit to the hard road. You literally just committed. When you commit to going after your dreams, you sign up for the hard road. It's going to be difficult. So you need to write down all of the things, why it's going to be difficult. And then comes the the, the, the P, plan. You want to write down what is your plan when the obstacles happen. When this happens, I'm going to do this. When this happens, I'm going to do this because you're more likely to respond to adversity if you're prepared to respond to adversity. When we're not ready for it and we're not expecting it, we're expecting it to be good, smooth sailing and and wonderful. Once we get punched in the face, then all of a sudden we get emotional, we get stressed, it activates the amygdala, the stress response in our brain and it's fight, flight or freeze. However, if you have a plan for it, and you have steps on what you're going to do when the obstacles come, which you're expecting, you're going to be more prepared to navigate that so that you'll be able to be more resilient and bounce back quicker. At the end of the day, it's we want you to bounce back faster. You're going to bounce back, but we want it to be one day instead of one month. We want it to be one minute instead of two weeks. 
that's the model that I would suggest to anyone listening to this, the GWAP model. Identify your goals, your why, the obstacles you're going to face, and your plan when the obstacles present themselves. Yeah, I love that. I love the why part, particularly from the perspective of like, it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks of this, like it has to be for you. And that is something that I I talk about. I often will say, if you achieved your goal, your intention, whatever it is, and nobody cheered or clapped or cared, would you still want to do it? Because then truly that's for you. Like if you're just so happy, you've done that for you, like you properly own that. I also love that you've spoken of the obstacles as well, because it's the obstacles that get people, right? They're like, oh no, this one thing happened on this day. I knew I couldn't do it. But to not only anticipate the obstacles, but then to have a plan to get around it. And it's also acknowledging that, because I always say that motivation is like a red hot lover. It's there for a few days and then bye, like it's gone. So, and you're waiting for it to come back. That's not happening anytime soon. I remember another thing that you posted about, and when you posted about it, I then heard it everywhere. You know, that classic of you hear something once and then, it, you know, yes, and then you see yes. it everywhere of the rule of thirds. A third of your sessions are going to be, or your workouts do, are going to be great. A third of them are going to be neither here nor there. And then a third of them are going to be hideous. Even that, thinking about that, of going, I know that a third of this process is going to suck. And a third of this process is going to be neither here nor there. And I'm not even going to feel like I'm getting anywhere. Being aware of that and going, okay, cool. I know that this is part of the process. I'm going to keep it moving forward. It's not, it's not motivated and feeling great and feeling inspired every day. So I love GWAP. Thank you for that. So we're talking about the why. Here, here's something interesting I just want to touch on. When I was with an NFL team, I had a player come into my office and he said, Justin, I'm just, I'm not as driven as I was before. Now, mind you, this is an elite professional football player in the NFL. And he'd been in the league for a couple of years. And he said, I'm just not driven. I'm just not locked in like I used to be. And I said, okay, what's your why? And he goes, my why is to play in the NFL. And as he was describing his why, he paused. And I looked at him and I said, did you just say your why is to play in the NFL? I said, my man, you've been in the NFL for two years. And he started to laugh. And it was in this moment he realized something. His why had become stale. He told me that that has been his why since he was a little boy. That why drove him to do to, to be the best he could in Little League. That why drove him in high school. It drove him in college. It drove him in something called the NFL Combine. And then once he achieved the why to get to the NFL, he kind of forgot it. And so he'd been in the NFL for two years. And he ended up realizing that, whoa, that why that got me here won't be the why that will get me to where I'm going. And so he learned a valuable lesson that your why can change. And where I get a lot of people who, who trip over this concept is they think they're, they're looking for a capital W-Y, a capital P purpose, this esoteric, broad, life-changing why. And the reality is sometimes for some people, they do find it. And that's wonderful. That's a wonderful thing. Others, it's a lifelong journey. And so maybe instead of trying to find the capital W-Y, 
Why don't you find a small why? What's your why for the week? What's your why for the day? What's your why for this workout? And as you have this why that can drive you, instead of running this marathon, run little sprints and then little momentum. You'll notice patterns and then maybe you'll find the capital WY. But it's important to understand that your why can change and that, it, and that if you can't see the light at the end of the tunnel that, uh, that symbolizes your why, create a temporary light that's a lot closer that you can see that might be able to generate some more momentum and energy from you for you. Yeah. It does, because when you think about, you know, what's your why, it feels like it's this big, like, what is my very existence? You know, <laughs> like, it's yeah. like a big yes. question. But yes. actually, what's my why for this workout? What's my why for this day? How many of us just go through the day or go through our workouts or go through the motions in general without thinking about it at all? So I love that, breaking it down into little chunks. I'm going to go back to something that you said earlier when you were talking to all of the different ingredients that really support somebody in their in their process. You talked about looking at how people manage their time and looking at how people manage their energy and also the energy of those around them or or those who they're coming into contact with. Can you speak to that a little bit more? Yes. One of the things that we always discuss is there are three finite resources that we must manage and be aware of. And the acronym is T, time, energy, and attention. We have finite resources, starting with time. That's the time that we have. And based on our constraints or our situation, it's how are you using the time that you have? And so being very mindful of how you use that time. And then we have finite energy. We don't have bottomless pools of energy at all time. Uh, we, we have to be very mindful of what gives us energy, what takes energy, what energy am I giving off? What energy is coming to me? Where do I find that energy? Uh, what do other people do to my energy? What is environments, music, food? What does that do to my energy? And that is very important. And then finally, your attention. Where are you directing your attention? What are you paying attention to? And what's interesting is learning. It's important to learn how to pay attention. And basic, it's paying attention to your content diet. What are you consuming? In, in addition to what you're eating through your for your digesting your food, what are you digesting with your ears and your brain and your mind? What books, what people, what podcasts, what authors, what, what belief systems are you adopting and allowing to impact your energy, your emotions, your behavior, and ultimately your performance? And going back to energy and the people, one of the things that we talk a lot about is managing your circle of influence. Who are the people you are allowing to influence you? Another concept I love is the analogy of the fountains and the drains. Fountains are people who pour into you. These are these could be fountains of peace. A lot of times when we think fountains, we think people who are gregarious and energetic and overly or uber positive, which is great, especially if it's authentic to them. But we can also have fountains of peace. Some of us have fountains of perspective. You go to this person to help you gain perspective. Some of us have fountains of humor. When you just need a laugh, you go to this person who could help you laugh. And to identify who are these fountains for you. When you need calm and peace, who do you go to? When you need uh, uh, someone to help you solve a problem, when you need someone to be honest with you and to give you some tough love, 
Who do you go to? Those are fountains as well. Now, the drains are people who have constantly making excuses, constantly having a problem for every solution, tearing other people down. They gather together and they talk bad about other people. And you just know that, oh, this is not helping my energy. It causes you to think poorly about people and be down about yourself. And and now I do want to say this, a couple of things that people always bring up. They say, well, Justin, what if I'm related to a drain? Well, what if I have to live with that person? And, and, and so, you know, I'm not here to say, get rid of all these people in your life. It's being able to manage your boundaries with these people and manage and protect your heart and protect your mind and not to necessarily sever relationships and cast people away, but also to protect yourself. The other thing as well is to not judge not judge other people and say, and think in our lives, some people are listening to this and saying, oh, yep, he's a drain, he's a fountain, she's a drain. She, We can all have fa- uh, fountains and drains tendencies. I can bring my kids and my wife in here right now and they can give you many moments when well, I have been a drain. Let's talk about drains, dad. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. So we all have these moments in our own lives. And so it's just being mindful of the people around you and being in, are they, are they helping you be better? And there are moments in our lives where, where we outgrow people or, or maybe we, we want to find different circles where to help people who are more growth mindsets and having these fountains in our lives to help us believe things that we maybe didn't believe before. And which leads to another concept. You want to have strong beliefs loosely held, meaning you want to have these belief systems and then you get around other people and they might believe it differently and you being willing to change your mind. And maybe you grew up with a certain mindset and then someone comes in your life and shows you that actually this is true. You actually can change. You can evolve. And it's magic when you run into someone who pokes holes in your previous assumptions for the better. But it takes that growth mindset to allow people to do that. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. And then going to time management, what I kind of immediately go to when I think of that is, I suppose, the consideration of the amount of steps that it takes to do any given task. So you can decide that you're going to do your workout in the morning or go for a run in the morning. And then it gets to the morning and then you can't find your shoes or something pops up or whatever. And there's all of these steps from you deciding the night before the day before that you're going to do this thing to you actually going and doing the thing. So is that, which I know is a very um, James Clear type concept, but is that what you think of when you think of time management or do you think, is it completely different? Yes. Essentially, stealing a principle from systems theory is before you can change a system, you need to understand the current patterns of the system. So when you get a finance, uh, someone to help you with your finances, she or he is going to ask you to, to document every penny spent for the past month. When you work with someone in nutrition, they're going to ask you to document every calorie that you consumed. And when you're working with a time effectiveness specialist, they're going to ask you to document every second you spend. Where are you spending your time? And I truly believe that uh, if you want to see someone's true priorities, what really matters to a person, don't listen to what they say. Take a look at their calendar. 
how they spend their time and their money will tell you what really matters to them. And so that's why it's important. We need to be honest with ourselves. Where are we currently spending our time? We say family is important, but how much do we really spend with family? We say fitness is important, but how much do we really spend doing that? And this isn't to be critical of ourselves or anyone else. It's just to be able to look and see the truth. Now, what I also want to say as well is, a lot of times, there are certain people who we all have different circumstances. There are people with with kids, and there are people without children. There are people who are CEOs of companies, and there are people who have all the time in the world. There are students, and there are people who are helping a special needs, a family member with special needs, and there are times and seasons for our lives. And to understand, to say, hey. What can you do given your current circumstances? What can you do? And, and, and to understand that, hey, you can't look at someone's routine or process and say, I'm going to adopt that for myself when you don't know why they're doing it. And also, you don't understand their entire situation. So that's one of the things I also try to understand. And so for me, what we want to understand is, okay, what are your values? What matters most to you? And then how do you create a system throughout your day to help you get one step closer to whatever you're trying to achieve? So let's say that your values are fitness, is family, and friends. Make sure you bake in your day some time to tap all of those value systems so that you, you can control the day and don't let the day control you. One place we focus is a concept called the win the morning technique. And the win the morning technique is what do you do right when you wake up? What do you do in the first, it could be 30 minutes, it could be 60 minutes, it could be 90 minutes, whatever you want it to be. And if I were to ask the person listening or person who I'm talking to, what does winning the morning look like to you? What would you say? And then they might be like, what do you mean? I said, okay, for some people, it's meditating and drinking their coffee. For other people, it's walking the dog and writing in their journal. For another person, it's working out and stretching. For another person, it's reading or whatever or praying, whatever it may be. But it's something that you do every single day that you can say, I got the day started on the right foot. And don't worry about it being huge. Just keep it simple. Something is better than nothing. One page of reading is better than committing to 10 pages, 20 pages, and embracing the compounding effects of doing those things. Now, a pushback I always get is, Justin, I don't want to wake up at 3.30 in the morning. I don't want to wake up. I'm like, no, no, no. When the morning has nothing to do with what time you wake up. Everyone has different schedules. We have person, people working the night shift. We have person, whenever you wake up, what are you going to choose to do rather than sit there and scroll on your phone right when you wake up? It's to help you start the day with some momentum. We have a mantra in our home. The best part about it today is we've never lived this one before. We never lived this one before. We have no clue what today holds and holds. And so you want to start the day off with a little bit of momentum. And so something we always tell people is you want to keep it simple. Keep it simple. You want it to be flexible. You want it to be flexible. You want to be able to do it during the summer, during the winter, when you're traveling, and you have a lot of time, just keep it simple. Don't make it this big complex because you have, the more nodes you have in the system, it's friction and then it's going to be so hard to do it. Keep it nimble and fast 
And also be patient with yourself if you miss a day. It's okay. Just pick it up the next day. They don't beat up on yourself and, and also do what works for you. And so those are some of the things that I like to talk about and winning the morning when it comes to managing your days. And also I'm a big proponent for optimizing sleep. And so, uh, so whenever you get your sleep, make sure you set the conditions to get the best sleep you can and, uh, and then win the day when you wake up, whenever you wake up. Mm, and I love that. And what you said as well of, of doing what you can, I'll always say do what you can with the resources that you have right now, because it's so different for everybody. And it might be because in my head, I'm thinking of the people who be saying, well, my kids jump on me and five o'clock in the morning or whatever. And it's like, still, even then, is there a moment that you can take to take 10 deep breaths? Like, as you say, just, it's not, it's not even the amount of time. It doesn't have to be this big deal. And of course, on the other hand, what is easy to do is also easy not to do, but it's that continued commitment to yourself to go, this is what I'm giving back to myself at the start of my day. And another piece of that, you know, talking about optimizing sleep, of course, that's so different for, for everybody at different points in their lives. And one of the things that I'll say is great, if you can't get however many hours of sleep you would like to get, then try and at least improve the quality of, of sleep that you are getting. And that is then the no f- phones before bed and all of that. We went to Spain in the summer. At the very last minute before the holiday, I said to my husband, I said, like, I'm just going to be not online at all. I'm not going to be on social media. I'm not going to, I said, I just want a complete break. I think it was the last two days we took some photos, we took some videos, but outside of that, we had two weeks completely offline, the odd message to family to check in. And when I got back to London, a few nights in, I think I was looking at my phone before bed, maybe about nine o'clock. I could not get to sleep until 3 a.m. And I was like, hmm, that's interesting. Didn't do it the next couple of nights, but then did it maybe on the Thursday night. Same thing. I couldn't get to sleep. And then I realized just how desensitized I'd become to blue light. Like now, now again, I'm fine. I could look at my phone before, but you know what I mean? You sort of get back into those. Uh, it just, it just flows back in. But it was such a stark, like, wow, gosh, this really yeah. does impact me. And I can tell you without having taken many videos or photos at all, I remember that holiday so clearly because we were in it. That's so cool. You actually did something that I noticed that I, I want to highlight. It was a super subtle thing that I want to highlight for the listeners. When you noticed, number one, you noticed that it kept you up and you went to bed as uh, much later than you would have liked. You said, you just said it, and I'm just going to say it again, that I want, it's a tech, it's a technique that people can use. You noticed a behavior, yourself doing something that wasn't ideal. And the words you just said is, huh, that's interesting. You, it wasn't, oh, I'm terrible. I'm a horrible person. Here we go again, which is the default for many. But you noticed and you said, that's interesting. I really want to highlight that for people. When you notice yourself doing something, whatever the, whenever the smoke settles, let's say you lose your temper. Let's say you don't do what you say you're going to do consistently. Let's say you don't live up to your own personal standards and you're veering off the version of what you want to be. It's easy to say, oh, I'm terrible. I'm a horrible person. Or, or you can activate the growth mindset and say, huh, that's interesting. Let me study why. 
What am I doing or what am I not doing that might be contributing to it? Put the white coat on, become a scientist, run some personal experiences. And I think what you did, you taught, a, the whole story was wonderful, but that lesson about being a scientist, thinking like a scientist and saying, huh, that's interesting. So I was working with a professional major league baseball player. He's a pitcher. Now, for those who don't know baseball, the pitcher is the person who controls the ball and he throws the ball to the hitter. Now, this pitcher in particular is one of the best in the game, one of the best on planet earth. And we were having this conversation where he wasn't throwing the ball very well. There are these two, you can throw a ball or you can throw a strike. You don't want to throw balls. You want to throw strikes, three strikes and you're out. But he was throwing a lot of balls. And he started to get really frustrated. And he said, oh, I'm throwing the ball all over the place. I'm terrible. I'm not a strike thrower. And he started to rock his confidence a little bit. And then we started talking about a concept, a concept that you literally just shared with us. And what he decided to do is when he threw a ball, instead of getting mad and say, here we go again, he instead of listening to himself, He started talking to himself. And this is what he started to say. Huh, that's weird. Every time he threw a ball, huh, that's not like me. That's weird. And what ended up happening is before he was starting to absorb this this identity. I don't throw strikes. Here we go again. Here we go again. But then once he started to say that's weird and that's not like me, he was able to bounce back faster. He was able to reject this identity that he can't throw strikes. He ended up relaxing. And wouldn't you know it, the strikes just started to happen and started to come. He wasn't fighting against himself. And so if anyone is listening to this and they keep saying, here we go again, I'm so bad, I would invite you to take the Jocelyn Mm. technique and to say, (laughs) huh, I'm noticing this pattern in myself. That's interesting. Let me dig in to find out to see why. And I just I just wanted to highlight that. That's powerful. Yeah, no, so great. And also even you saying what he said to himself of, oh, that's not like me. It's this just this really supporting, reinforcing conversation with himself that was incredibly powerful. So good. And that's why I love this stuff so much because it's, Everything is just information. It's curiosity. It's an awareness. It's a this ongoing process of oh, that's interesting. Okay, cool. Mm, noted. Yes. And then you can rather than <gasps> you know <laughs> stop everything. The title of this podcast is "Listen Loudly" because I believe that you have to listen loudly to yourself in order to be heard by others. Now, obviously, this is your field of expertise. But was there a point in your life where you listened loudly to yourself to be heard by others that was a pivotal point for you? Yeah. And it started by listening loudly to someone I trust and I love. So I'll tell you this. So I was was a high school teacher and this dream and this desire to get into the field of performance psychology and process development was starting to bubble up in my heart. And I couldn't stop thinking about it. I couldn't stop talking about it. I kept telling my wife, I'm going to get into the field. I'm going to get into the field. I'm going to work with the best athletes in the world. I'm going to make a dent in the world. I'm going to do everything I can just to support, uh, just work with the best leaders and so forth. And this went on for about a year. And our kids were 
three, two and one at the time. Um, it, it was a rough, rough time. I was a high school teacher and maybe anywhere from 18 to $22,000 a year. And it was, it was rough. It had multiple jobs. It was very difficult. But I was dreaming out loud. I was dreaming out loud. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And I remember one night in particular, we're getting ready to go to bed and the lights were off. And I said, sweetheart, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. And she said words so softly, yet they rung and penetrated me so deeply and so loudly. She said, Justin, you're all talk. And I remember it was, it was really dark. And I turned the light on and I turn and I look at her. So what did you say? She goes, you're all talk. I said, wait, wait, what? She goes, you're all talk. I said, what do you mean? She goes, you keep talking about pursuing your dreams and swinging for the fences, but you're just talking. You've done nothing. And that was the night that changed my life. I woke up the next morning and what she ended up doing was she shoved me into my dream because I was actually experiencing, I was experiencing uh, the imposter syndrome. Who am I to do this? Who am I to go after my dreams? Who am I? I got a degree in, in broadcasting. I don't know what I'm talking about. I can't get into this school. I don't have the money. I was coming up with all of these reasons why I can't be, go after my dreams. And it took one of my fountains, the fountain I love more than anyone in the world, to call me out and say, you're all talk. And I knew that, hey, I'm doing this for her, for my kids. Let's, if my wife believes in me, I need to believe in me. And let's go for it. And that was the moment I woke up and I opened up a face. This was back in 2008. I opened up a Facebook and I just said, focus on what you can control. And that was the moment. And I didn't have a degree. I was like, okay, let's start this process. And that was uh, over a decade ago. And here we are in 2024. And, uh, and I still to this day have to, I am in situations that are uncomfortable and I have to make sure I don't listen to myself, but I talk to myself because it's a, a lot of noise going on in here. I have to, have to, have to navigate through it, but I do it every day. And I'm, I'm grateful for that. Yeah, amazing. And right, so this is what you do for your career and there's still that talk. So, you know, yes. and that's the thing, it doesn't go away, right? It's ne- it's, it's always there. And so familiarizing yourself with the fact that it's, it, it's this constant, you never defeat it, I think. And knowing that, just being aware of it, that classic controlling what you can, tr- can control is huge. So, well, I'm glad your wife told you you're all talk because... <laughs> I'm glad that we're here having this conversation. (laughs) Me too. And I love what you said. I think that's a really good point. The more I talk to these elite performers, men and women of the world, they all have these, this voice. They all sometimes feed that bad wolf, as we talked about early in the podcast. And it's not about eliminating negative thoughts. It's about turning the volume down to negative thoughts. It's not about eliminating the doubt. We're human. We're not robots. It's about turning the volume down and turning the volume down might not might mean going from a 10 to a 9 or a, a 10 to a 9.5 even that and then being able to tolerate the negative thoughts and act in spite of the fear act in spite of the doubt and yeah you might be feeling a certain way but can you act in spite of your feelings and your emotions and your thoughts that's where the magic happens yeah Incredible. Oh, Justin, thank you so much. I enjoyed that so, 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 so much. 
what's next on the cards for you? Where can people find you? We're going to have everything linked in the show notes, but yeah, what's yeah, next so for I'm, you? I'm pretty easy to find on all social media, Justin Sua, J-U-S-T-I-N-S-U-A. I'm on LinkedIn, I'm on Twitter, I'm on Instagram. And uh, that's it. That's that's really it. I have a podcast called Increase Your Impact Podcast. And we are on episode 1,938 today. And so here's the thing about the podcast. Every episode is two minutes long, two to three oh, minutes wow. long. It's, okay. it's a simple little tool for the day. That's it. It's just a tool or principle for the day. And then I ask a question at the end. And so if you like some of these principles, I want to give just tool a day. And so it's... So maybe that's how people win the day, a little two-minute insight from Justin. Yes. They just say it's it's a podcast for people that hate podcasts. You can listen to while you brush your teeth. You can listen to two minutes. It will never go longer, some occasional four minutes, but yeah, short and quick. Yeah, I love it. Well, listen, thank you so, so much. I can't wait for people to listen to this episode and apply your teachings. Like I say, it's influenced my work. It's influenced how I coach so much. So just thank you for all of the work that you're doing and putting out into the world. Thanks so much, Jocelyn. And I'm grateful we crossed paths. Me too. 